Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast still. And my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We, I feel like we are coming hot off the heels of just like doing the most. TM, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Trade, yeah, trademark, I know it. What you mean. trademark it, yeah. baby. Hit that patent office. Give me that doing, doing the, most. the most TM. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, you know, back to back to back. I feel like releasing that Patreon episode we did with Chris Plant public. You know, here's everything about the Dreamcast. Then the Dreamcast episode. Then last week's episode. Everything that we played over the summer. I feel like. We owe it to ourselves to like exhale. I think everyone, like not just you and me. I mean, like, hey, if you're listening to this, like inhale. Exhale. Let it all out. Well done. Keep at it every day to improve your posture. We're at the end of summer. Things are winding down. It's starting to cool off. Maybe hopefully a little bit, you know, take a sip of water. I think um, there was part of my brain that felt like last episode was our last episode ever. This is we. It was like our first regular one from the break. So now it feels like oh, we're actually like back to weekly. Like this is yeah. like the this might be the first regular episode. I always felt that way with school, where I like whenever I would start a new year of school way back when I always remember thinking to myself I wonder how long it'll still feel new for like I wonder when that feeling of like the new school year will fade away you know the moment when your teacher stops being like well it's the first week so we don't really have to worry about this to like oh no now they're just assigning shit to you you know (laughs) they don't care at all that like just two weeks ago you were swimming in a lake you know yeah I always (laughs) felt weirdly astrological about my notebook picks like at the start of the school year like I love that there was one year Year where they forced us to get an accordion folder and i'm like who lost a bet like, what is this <laughs> but usually we were given the freedom to have like a notebook and a folder red was always math to me mm. which probably scared me away from studying I, I get that yeah the stop sign yeah history was green mm. uh and science was blue and then spanish was yellow wow uh, i love yeah. that Love that kind of fit. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. That is nice. I feel, were you one of those people? Did you post the year where we had to have an accordion folder? Did you take (laughs) all of your loose leaf documents that were handed to you by teachers and just shove them into your folder, into your notebooks? I remember, I think it was high school, but there was one year where there was a ceremonial fire of like everyone's <laughs> notebooks and stuff. It must have been senior year of high school. That would be especially satanic in like seventh grade. Like, what, <laughs> what are you burning? You know, <laughs> we're all still changing a lot. It's not time to burn away the past quite yet. <laughs> it's just like algebra is so hard you know? <laughs> sometimes you just want to see it go up in flames if i can change anything about my high school career it would be this i was put into uh i was in like all honors classes that i liked wow. and then i was in like regular or bad classes that i didn't like <laughs> okay and i was put in like basic physics and we i remember we watched looney tunes the first class and then i went right to the principal and i was like i need to be put in honors physics like i can't do this wow i mean i love looney tunes but like this is insulting but think about all of the different kinds of physics you can learn from whatever's happening to wiley coyote <laughs> that's true I, that's <laughs> what i mean i would change it and the principal was so inspired by my confidence that he put me in honors physics not knowing that a basic tool of honors physics was pre-calc which i had not yet taken 
and that single-handedly tanked my GPA. Oh man! But that was also like the the like A student got like a D in that class, so there was no hope for everyone else. We got like we just got try again. So there wasn't even a letter. <laughs> that's all, folks. Yeah. That's <laughs> anyway, you want to talk about video games? Yeah, I think that sounds good. I think we should do that. Yeah, I guess to kind of frame the episode a little bit. Yeah. Yes. To avoid the jump scare, we are talking about Baldur's Gate 3 again. In our big everything we've played over the summer episode that came out last week, we gave like a first impressions on Baldur's Gate 3. That's completely spoiler free. So if you want our thoughts on like the early hours of the game, you can listen to that. I think we did a pretty good job not going too specific. So like if you want like nothing, that's about as close to nothing as you can get, which is weirdly a a compliment, I guess. We were also like three and a half hours into recording at that point. So I I I think there was a little bit of us that was like, yeah, let's just keep this light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baldur's Gate. Wasn't it cool the way it opened? <laughs> but I think we're going to talk about, now that we both put in more time, uh, yeah. way more time in my case, which I'll talk about <laughs> later. We're going to talk about it again, and we might touch on some stuff that happens in the first act of the game. So it'll still be relatively spoiler free, but I think we're going to share like things that happen in the story in the early like chunk of the game, just mm. to kind of share experiences. Yeah. So that will be in the second half, but the first half of this episode, or Second part, I should say. It probably won't be half. Um, it's probably and in this true. first part of the episode, we're just going to talk about a bunch of other stuff we've been playing. Believe it or not, I did have the willpower to escape the illithid grasp of Baldur's Gate 3 and play anything else. You did message me and say, I think I need to put this game down for a while, which I don't think you've ever sent me ever about any no. video game. No, and I, I, I don't want to say it's a problem because I think Baldur's Gate 3 is like an incredible game. It's not like I'm addicted to like a slot machine game or something like it is a good experience. Yeah, but I haven't had a game like make me play it until four in the morning, like right in a very long time if yeah. ever. I think I think it's the confluence of like maybe one of the greatest games ever made by people <laughs> releasing yeah. at a time where like you're you have a lot of free time on your hands. You know, exactly. I have some time off right now, so I have more time to play than I normally would. So it's sort of this like, oops, I played this game like all day, all day and then all day the next day and then all day. Yeah. The next day. Well, honestly, <laughs> if I was in your shoes, I probably would have done exactly the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So I'm at the beginning of Act 3. And I will say for the deck heads out there, the Steam Deck is great to play Baldur's Gate 3 until you get to Act 3. And that's when it's not like it's unplayable, but you are in a setting that I think kind of demands more of the console. Ah. And because we know that it's coming out on PS5 and there are cross saves, I just had a feeling like one, this is like a good like it's about the halfway point of the game, I would guess. Right. It feels at least like if the first two acts are like one season of a show, this feels like the beginning of the next season. Mm. But this is like a pretty natural stopping point. And I also think I, I want to like I don't want to accidentally binge this game. Like I want to savor the experience. And I also think it will be cool to see that setting like on the PS5. Like I'm just very excited at seeing that like on my TV. It's it's very exciting. Yeah, I know what you mean. When we get to that segment, I'll talk a little bit about how I have changed the way I'm playing that game. Yeah, uh, because I, I think I think you'll be very interested in that but for the time being before we we get into that for the people who don't want to hear about Baldur's Gate 3 (laughs) (laughs) whoops I want to do a quick update on a game you brought up last week uh which is 20 minutes till dawn which 
I I just switched phones. I had I had an iPhone and I have had an iPhone for a long time. I think since I used to switch back and forth between iPhone and Android every year, um, mainly because I was working for a startup and it was good to have both phones and see how the app worked on both phones and stuff like that. And sometimes I had both phones at the same time, which was like an unhinged thing to do, but the job demanded it. But that said, once once I left that job and moved on to another one, I was like, let me just settle into using the iPhone and whatever uh, and switched over to Android just kind of on a whim the other day. And was just looking at games that I could download on the Android Play Store because I knew that there was some stuff that was available on Android that's not on iOS. First of all, actually, side note, Slice and Dice, a game I brought up, I think, like months and well, I mean, with the break months and months ago, uh, available on Android, which is great. That game is so good mobile. Um, But also one of the like top games that it was like you should download this it was like featured and everything was 20 minutes till dawn i was like wow this is this is oh nice um calling yeah so i downloaded they had that and then like under that was vampire survivors which i thought was very funny oh Um, shit yeah brutal uh google has a preference yeah that said i started playing 20 minutes till dawn that game is really good i don't really have that much to say about it that you didn't say last week i just wanted to kind of add my voice to the choir of people saying that that game is great i think you're totally right that having a little bit more active mechanics around how I'm choosing to engage with the, you know, swarm of enemies that are coming at me is huge. It is like, it is like a night and day feeling, I think, between Vampire Survivors, which honestly, like, for better and for worse, I think as much as I liked Vampire Survivors, definitely a lot more than you did, I found myself at times in that game, the further into runs I got, like, literally, not even a joke, blurring my vision. Like, I would ju- I would just unfocus <laughs> my eyes, and you could still kind of tell what was going on on screen, and it was as if there was nothing, like, as, as if I wasn't doing anything. I would just, like, move <laughs> the character around screen and, like, barely even be cognizant of the fact that I'm playing it. It's the most detached from my own body I've ever felt playing a video game. Actively. My game of the year is like the eye test hot air balloon. <laughs> Can you pick up the fly with your hand? Yeah, exactly. I, I frequently couldn't because my death perception so bad. Anyway, Vampire Survivors. I, I think that's a great game. I liked it a lot. I didn't realize how much I missed kind of like a more active strategy when it came to actually engaging with the enemies on screen and 20 minutes till dawn especially if you're playing the mobile version, you know, left hand or left thumb is for moving around the screen. Right thumb is the is the twin stick shooter vibe of it all. And I think they impose some really great limitations on the character, especially like right at the top. You know, you only have so many bullets in the chamber. It takes a long time to reload. So you really need to be very cognizant of like who and what you're shooting and when. Yeah, there's a rhythm to it for sure. Yeah. And then outside of that, a lot of it is kind of similar to Vampire Survivors, right? Like every enemy you defeat drops a little token. And if you pick that up, that, you know, increases the XP bar that you have. I mean, if you fill up that XP bar, you get to choose from like a list of random things. But also the the random buffs that they give you are really well telegraphed in terms of on that screen when you're choosing between them you can see what they all upgrade into like you can see what upgrade paths you're choosing right from the beginning even if you don't know a whole lot about the game which i think is also really nice just in terms of like quality of life i'm just really impressed by this game and and i feel like as much as i enjoyed vampire survivors i do think this is one that's going to be stickier for me personally like i i played through yeah, i feel the same way most yeah. of vampire survivors but you and i have have friends who play a lot of vampire survivors and like know that game in side and out and know everything that there is to know about it and I, I could just never get there as much as I wanted to and as much as I enjoyed playing that game I could just never get there and 20 minutes till dawn I think is probably going to be closer to like it 
quote unquote for me, I think. I would guess the possibilities of vampire survivors are greater. It's like wilder stuff can happen. Mm. But I think you have way more agency as a player in 20 Minutes Till Dawn. Yeah. And I think they really set you up to like learn the game better because they've only let you play as that one character early on. And her power is to re-roll her yeah. abilities. So like in addition to the upgrade tree being telegraphed, you get a sense of like what is helpful and like what's my preferred play style. And then you can choose to unlock the other characters and weapons to like try out a different play style and to see what works best for you. So I think it, it kind of communicates the language of the game better. Cause I almost think there's a nice element of surprise where I think uh, vampire survivors starts off as one thing and then kind of evolves into something else. And that's exciting. Yeah. But I think if you don't kind of commit time to it, you're never going to see that. I think this game shows its structure more openly. Mm. And I could, you know, I could see someone still preferring Vampire Survivors because of all those things. But I think for you and I, 20 Minutes Till Dawn just works better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I think the more hands off approach to Vampire Survivors is probably like fine for a lot of people. Not even fine, but just like good, I would say. I, I don't want to be dismissive of it because I, I, I also attach to it and I think it's great. But I just maybe it's the like person who's played a thousand hours of Binding of Isaac in me but something about turning vampire survivors into like a real legit twin six shooter really really works it reminds me a lot of there was a game on xbox live arcade years and years and years ago called i made a game with zombies in it oh my god i totally forgot about that i remember that song yeah Yeah. If there was ever a song to communicate like online memedom in 2010, yeah. I feel like that is the song, yeah, unfortunately. The, the Newgrounds influence yeah. <laughs> on the internet. Yeah, totally. But it reminds me a little bit of that game, weirdly. Like that was a game it I does, just played yeah. so, so, so much of. And it almost feels like that game was like a hop and skip and a jump away from like being a prototype of Vampire Survivors in 20 Minutes Till Dawn. Anyway, I'm back in it. I'm enjoying that game a lot. Hell yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah, I, I also, I this reminds me how influential that like, specific era of xbox live was for indie games banger after banger anything that they put on the pedestal and was like this is our big release it was like you know braid bastion limbo Limbo, i made a game with zombies in it uh (laughs) was was that one that was by the people that made gears of war uh shadow complex it was like oh yeah great metroidvania it's i think it doesn't age as well i think it has a little bit of like a kind of military industrial complex you know kind of heart emoji around it (laughs) but I, I remember really enjoying that game. I think the thing specifically, it had the glue gun that they have in Prey, like Prey 2018, the, the thing that lets you like create bridges and paths just by like kind of shooting this foam that like becomes solid. Yeah. Using that in a Metroidvania structure in like a 2D Metroidvania structure where you could just like very much break the game and they really encouraged that was a really cool idea. Anyway, the shadow complex. <laughs> <laughs> Add that to the air table. <laughs> What game have you been playing? I have been playing a game called Before Your Eyes, which I've been wanting to play for a while. This came out like 2021, right? Yeah. I think it was two years ago. I'm so excited to hear about this game. Yeah. So this was, I think it was released on PC first. I played it on mobile. This is another game that you can get for free if you have Netflix. So you can just download, at least on iPhone. So you can download the app and then when you open the game, it will prompt you to sign into Netflix and then it will say who's playing, Yeah, which I think is fun. And then you can just (laughs) play it. So before your eyes, it's controlled. Uh, You basically have to turn on like your camera settings and it recognizes when you 
are blinking. So when you first turn the game on, it will kind of like sync up to uh, like you, you can try a few times to get it to recognize when you're blinking. That took me like a few minutes. I would recommend like spending as much time as possible just to get it right mm. before you start playing. Yeah, because it's pretty important because basically how the game works, uh, whether you're playing it on mobile or PC, you either use the touch controls to like move your perspective or the mouse. And then whenever it's in first person and whenever on the screen, there's a metronome icon. When you blink, it will like fast forward to the next scene. Um, so the idea is you're kind of seeing someone's life through their eyes. And every time you blink, it kind of jumps forward in time. Yeah. But it also is kind of used just like you blinking is how you interact with things. So if there's no metronome or even if there is, but you see like an eye icon on the level somewhere, you can highlight that and then blink and the character will interact with it. So like mm. when the main character is a little kid and you're like drawing, you can like look at something and blink and then you'll drag that to your like paper and, and the character will have like doodles, whatever that thing is. That's really cool. Um, so there, and there are some like dramatic beats of that too. Like there's one where, um, no spoilers in this section, but your mom wants you to like audition for this conservatory school for like young, like one of those like really intense, like we're going to try to make you one of the next great artists at like age seven right. schools. Yeah. Why aren't you Mozart yet? And you can, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can, you can just toss the application, like, you know, in the backseat, like, mm. you know, rejecting it. But you can choose to not do that. Like you could choose to go through the conservatory also. I don't know exactly how many branching paths there are, but there are very clear decisions in some key moments. Okay. That's interesting. Cause one of my, I, I wanted to play this game for a long time too. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Jacob Geller, who I think I've shouted out a million times on this show, YouTube video essayist, uh, also on MinMax at this point. He mentioned that that was, I think one of his favorite games of the year. It was like in his top 10 by the end of the year. And I tried so hard to get that game running on Mac and it like just did not. Um, it just like wouldn't recognize the webcam unfortunately so i couldn't get mm. it to work and then they released it on on netflix and i i kept meaning to like i've had it downloaded on my iphone i think ever since and just haven't opened it up uh but the lingering question i've had because i knew about the like blink to move forward in time mechanic i had no idea what the rest of the game was and the idea of it you know being like a you choose this person's life via branching paths i think is really really interesting yeah that that's part of it i mean there's definitely a lot out of your control i would say the bulk of the game though is really just kind of experiencing it mm. and uh there's definitely a little bit of like magic realism where like the game begins with this like humanoid wolf on a boat who's like picking out souls in the sea and he's like you're you're the best one like i'm sick of picking up trash you're <laughs> you're a real soul and we're gonna prove it a true soul steven uh, oh no stop <laughs> i need a break i wanted a break um I've also been watching a lot of I Think You Should Leave, so I feel like that's also rewired my oh, brain. Oh, yeah. I can tell, actually. <laughs> oh, my God! It's a fun game! Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, my God! I blinked, and now, it's, now I'm 10! Um, anyway, before your eyes... A low-key video game podcast. For <laughs> that's, that's what we bill ourselves as. I played it to completion in one sitting. Uh, I would say it's like around. wait. Can I can I just say something? Because I feel like in those moments, those are the moments where people think that we've edited something out. That is unedited. Exactly what happened. Stephen went from yelling to immediately just continuing what's going on <laughs> before your eyes. I just want that to be clear. We we don't edit this show that much. That is just the natural flow of our conversation. <laughs> I don't fully retain what's happening. I love it's it. Just 
I blinked and it was over. You I, know? I, th- I think it adds. I think it's all. I think it's all part <laughs> of the, the vibe. Anyway, I appreciate it. It's. I think we're. We've also taken enough time away from each other that all our <laughs> like everything we were numb to is kind of being reacquainted. You know, <laughs> it's true. It's like, oh yeah, this guy's kind of a freak. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I like this guy. Um, before your eyes. Come on, we can do this. Uh, okay, so but yeah, before your eyes, I would say it's like between ninety minutes and two hours. Oh. The thing I was kind of worried about is like, am I? Is this gonna be like? Am I gonna be punished for not straining my eyes? Like that was like my main concern. Is like That's a great question. And I would say really like. The game does a pretty good job, like the way it's written, even if you blink right away, you like know what the scene is. Mm -hmm. Like, especially when you're a kid, a lot of the scenes are like hearing your parents talking. Mm. And I think the game knows when you'll want to like linger on and you can prevent like you can blink and not pass time again. Like it's only when the metronome shows up. So like there are many scenes where like you'll get there and it will give you like you can just blink normally and, mm. and watch it and then you'll hear the metronome. Like, okay. So I can, but then you'll also see if there are things to interact with and you can blink to interact instead of passing time. So it's kind of this interesting idea of like time doesn't pass as quickly when you're kind of engaged with something yeah. or someone. That's very cool. I think overall it's really successful. Like I do think it might be, there were times where I got away with blinking, mm-hmm. which I'm actually, I would rather that than like it recognizing that I'm blinking and I'm not. Yeah, true. But there are also a handful of moments where you actually just have to keep your eyes closed and you'll overhear a conversation. Okay. That was actually going to be one of my next questions is, is, is it voice acted or are you reading? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's all voice acted. Oh great. That's awesome. Uh, I'm sure there are subtitle options too, and you can actually play it without the blinking. Like if you want to just click your way through it, that is an option too, from what I've seen. That's interesting. Which I think is nice just in case it's like not a possibility. Yeah. Cause I, I think it does add to it, but I also think the game's writing and like the story they're telling are strong enough that you don't need to rely on that. Mm. It kind of reminds me of um, If Found. If Found was a game on mobile as well that was told by erasing. So actually kind of a similar structure where like there would be this moment happening in the character's life and you would like wipe it away with your thumb uh, or mouse. And I think for me that really worked best on mobile, but like you could also play it with a mouse mm. and have the same effect, but cool. Yeah. I, I think, I think the idea of having it be tied to like playing this on mobile with headphones, I would recommend doing that. It was a very immersive experience. So overall, I think I, I would highly recommend it. I think it's a really it's got a really great message. Like I think the game kind of comes to a point at the end and I, I really like what it's saying. And I think it really, it's got a great art style. It's, it's well acted. The music is great. So yeah, overall I, I loved it and I would recommend it. And I think like, it seems like most people have had a pretty profound experience with it, myself included, honestly. But I, I found the, my biggest critique is I found the balance of tone to be a little off, like without spoiling, like I kind of expected it to be bittersweet given the nature of, yeah. the premise right but i found like the first half of the game is like very sweet which you know worked for me but it, it, i felt that when it got dramatic it was a little bit much for me mm-hmm. like it kind of felt and you know that's kind of how life is and i think that's sort of what they were going for but and it's i don't want to like you know rewrite the game like this is the story they wanted to tell and i respect that but i i just can't help but feel like there might have been a subtler way to deliver the message they did because mm. I, I just found it to be a little bit like the moments of drama were like so much and so heavy that it almost actually took me out of it mm. you know what it is i feel like sometimes when writing defaults to high stakes to like 
You know what I mean? Like, the, yes. I don't normally feel like, like, I don't like when people say, oh, this is like manipulative or whatever. Like, I'm usually, I'm usually very emotionally invested in something. So if like you're providing those dramatic beats, I'm usually here for that. But I just found like the zero to 100 nature of some moments felt a little like cheap and not, I, I wasn't like feeling for the character. I was just sort of like, oh, we're here now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like weird tangent maybe, but I, I promise this is. Uh, this makes sense. But my favorite moment in Barbie is, you know, the, the beginning of the movie, the first like 30 minutes is like Barbie and all the Kens in Barbie land. And it's basically like I, I think our friend Chris Plant messaged me and said it's like speed racer adjacent. You know, it's like the Wachowski speed racer. It's like just overwhelming the senses. There's so much going on. It's really like great. It's like beautifully uh, designed like from a production design perspective and costuming and all the like choreography and the music it's like it's amazing it's an amazing thing and then the movie takes like a pretty harsh turn this is in the trailers this is not a spoiler it takes a pretty harsh turn and she ends up like in the real world and has to you know like experience what being a human being is like a little bit and the most successful moment of that entire movie for me is this one moment where Barbie is just sitting on a bus stop bench and is just looking around at this city in California and like sees a couple arguing and break up, sees these two friends who are like taking a selfie and laughing and looks and like has a really short conversation with this older woman who's also sitting on the bench with her. And it's just this moment of like her acknowledging what it means to be a person with a body who lives and breathes in, in real life that I just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like that moment by itself, like really conveyed everything that movie wanted to do better than pretty much anything else that happens in it, if I'm being totally honest. And I'm not I'm not going to like do a review of the Barbie movie, but I just feel like it kind of illustrates what you're talking about here, where going going from zero to 60 in terms of stakes sometimes actually undercuts the thematic. Yes. The thematic string that you're trying to uh, weave through the plot. And I feel like Barbie kind of does a similar thing where like because it starts so high energy and then drops, you think like, oh, I don't know if this is going to you know, hold for me. And then that's when they start introducing moments like that that are like really subtle and quiet. And I feel like more relatable than anything else that happens in that movie. Yeah, because I, I just think like essentially the message of the game is said in a better way in that scene in the car with the conservatory mm. audition than like in the giant finale with like it just being said out loud to me. Ah, I'm like, I yeah, get it. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I appreciate like that it's confident in the message, but I just think like, I don't know. And again, it's not that it was a bad thing to go to those places, but I just think the it felt a little abrupt and it felt like it lacked the confidence of the earlier parts. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Totally. At the same time though, like I would still recommend, like it didn't, it didn't ruin the experience. I just was like, this was so close to being like perfect mm. in my, and that's just a subjective thing. Yeah. You know, no game is perfect. And I think like in, in a game like this where things aren't on the same level of quality, it just stands out more. Yeah. I am still definitely going to play it. And I downloaded it on my phone while you were talking. So good. <laughs> that's happened before. <laughs> I love that. Shout out again to Netflix games, by the way. I feel like a lot of people, I, not that we need to shout out Netflix of all companies, but <laughs> I, ju I just feel like. The awareness that they have this incredible lineup of games really flies under the radar a lot. Like, yeah. I, I just brought up a list that I am keeping on backlogged of all the games that they have. Like, Terra Nil, great game. Point P, which is the follow-up from the developer of Downwell. It's basically the opposite. It's Upwell. Kentucky Route Zero, one of the greatest games, I think, ever made. Yeah. Into the Breach, amazing on mobile. Immortality, which I gushed about last year. Like, just so many great games on Netflix. I would highly recommend checking that out. Also, a nice variety of stuff, because I feel like yeah. this, like... 
this and Immortality and Kentucky Route Zero, I feel like they're fitting a mold of Netflix games. And then like Into the Breach is just like bug quest, you know, like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, I love that. Into the Breach is incredible, by the way. Yeah. Oh, and also the developer who made Before Your Eyes is Goodbye World Games. Oh. I forgot to mention that at the top. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's, it's a really great experience. Uh, and I think I imagine it will resonate a little differently with everybody, given like also the choices you can make in the story, too. I will say that uh, the game was published by Skybound Games who uh, have done a lot of things, but notably for our conversation, published the uh, switch ports of Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. (laughs) (laughs) When you really can't escape. How funny is that? What are the odds? It just, it's intertwined with everything. It's my (laughs) life now. I just got to accept it. Let me talk about one more game. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick update on Remnant 2, which I, I think has gone from a game that I feel pretty strongly about personally, like, this is a game made for me. I'm enjoying it. It does everything that I wanted to do. That's great. To now I have I finished a run of the game, quote unquote, like I finished like a campaign. And I think it's one of the best games of the year for me. Like nice, like is like has kind of jumped up above some other games, which, you know, will be revealed in the Goatee 2023 ah! Spectacular. But I just I didn't think that it was going to be as good and as polished as it is like not not to dunk on it, but like Remnant One, uh, you and I talk about a lot, was kind of like a double A experience, not triple A, yeah. not indie experience, but like it was a game that had a really unique voice, a lot of really interesting things it was trying to do. And it didn't all coalesce into like a perfect game, but it was one that you and I had a lot of fun playing like there were a lot of rough edges that were very visible exactly it was it was a beautiful ambitious disaster yeah yes i i i would argue that yes remnant 2 i was expecting like okay here's that again but you know bigger and with a little bit more funding and i think what i've found is like as i mentioned last week they just kind of took everything that they did well in the first game brought that into the second one and then sanded off all the rough edges and just kind of made it work but i think the game as a whole the loop of the game is what is really pulling me in now like even though i'm done with the campaign i'm still gonna probably play it a second time i'm still like playing in random people's matches i'm still doing the adventure mode where like if you beat a world you can like just re-roll a version of that world and experience that the the thing for me is like I finished the game. I have started multi-classing, which means that like you get to pick a class when you start the game. And then at a certain point, once you've leveled up that first class that you picked to level 10, you can just pick another class and then have all of the abilities and all of the perks that come with that class also attached to you. So like I picked the gunslinger at first, which I thought was like a good one for playing solo. And then my second class that I picked was uh I forget what it's called, actually, but it's the one that allows you to have the dog, which is like the the class oh, that they yeah. specifically put in the game for solo players. And the dog just like kind of runs around and like takes aggro from enemies and will heal you and will attack enemies. You can like kind of, you know, sick it on enemies and stuff, uh, which is really fun. And I had that for a long time and then leveled that up to 10. And now I've like picked up another class and I leveled that up to 10. Then I picked up another class. And now that I'm done with the game, I'm also unlocking like secret classes. And I feel oh, like wow. this loop, just to kind of clarify something that I was talking about last week, has really kind of settled me into what I think I wanted from Diablo and what I want from a lot of these kinds of games. Oh yeah. Where like Diablo, what they want is every season you create a new character and you play that like season character and you get different loot and different stuff specifically for playing through that season. But when that season is done, they wipe that character and you have to create a new one and then you play that next season. And what I found with Remnant is that without even the introduction of like seasons or a battle pass or like egregious microtransactions, I already feel strongly enough that the loop is compelling enough to keep me wanting to play it over and over again just to see what's possible in the game. 
because there's so much left to explore, even though I've technically seen all the worlds that are on offer. There's one world in particular, which is like Bloodborne adjacent, where you just kind of run around and there's like a bunch of people who just like scream at you and point at you and like try and shoot you with guns and like hit you with pitchforks and stuff because you're like an interloper in their, in their like weird Bloodborne space. Um, <laughs> and they can just if you if you want to, you can just re-roll that world and you'll start in a completely different spot. So like even though it's supposed to be Bloodborne world, suddenly you're starting in this like beautiful golden palace filled with these like kind of uh, freaky like dark elf angels uh, and you won't see any bloodborne shit for like five or six hours of that experience. And that, that world just contains both of those things which have completely different boss fights and completely different ideas going at them that all actually do coalesce in like one specific vibe, which I don't want to give away because it's really cool. But I think that's the thing about this game, honestly, like just to reduce it down to its most basic shit. I just think it's so fucking cool. I think Remnant <laughs> is like the coolest game that came out this year, even more so than Resident Evil 4 remake in a lot of ways. Like, wow, that was the game that I was like, I'm going to play this over and over and over and over again. And now I feel like I'm getting that itch from Remnant. But Remnant is literally built for that in a lot of ways. And knowing the reason that they didn't, you know, continue making DLC for Remnant 1 was that they could create a better foundation to create more DLC and add more worlds and add more content and stuff to Remnant 2. I'm like so excited not only about what the game is now, but what the future of it is, because anytime they release something new for that game, I'm definitely going to go back to it and play it again. I just I, I'm like blown away by it. I, I think it, it it went from like a I'm going to have a good time with this and I can't wait to talk about it on the podcast to like I really want to be a champion for this game in a really big way. Hell yeah. I'm excited to catch up with you. I still haven't played since we played together. So I feel like I I'm I have yet to see the light fully, but I had a great time with what we did so far. So, yeah, this is a genre of game that is like never really been my thing, to be honest. Mm. Like I would also say it's like against like Diablo. It's sort of Destiny esque in some ways. The looter shooter, I guess I've just never really gravitated towards. So I'm curious if this will be my entry point. If this will be like the one that will click. Can I tell you, I think the, the big secret with this game versus sure. those and, and th there was a little bit of like a back and forth in the discord about this, which I, I, I want to address. But like I, I mentioned that this game is a looter shooter in the last episode, and I think there are arguments to be made for and against what like what a looter shooter is. Right. Because like a lot of games like Destiny or like Borderlands, for example, are games in which you're like running around, and you're shooting things. And whenever you do that, there's a random chance that like a cool weapon will drop, you know, with a bunch of like random perks and things like that. What I think Remnant gets really right specifically is this idea that it is not a randomization element in terms of what loot you can get, but it's a randomization element in terms of what story points will lead you to that loot. So if you can get this certain boss to spawn, that means that you get the drop from that boss if you beat that boss. So there's like it's all fixed loot. It's like a fixed loot table. But I think going through the game and going through, you know, the like Pan's Labyrinth world and, you know, experiencing all the bosses that are available in that Pan's Labyrinth world and thinking to yourself, there are other bosses that I haven't seen. There are other story elements that I haven't seen here. And then re-rolling that world and getting a completely different set of like weapons and upgrades and modifications for those weapons and armor and things like that is what's keeping me coming back. And I think it I think there is a little bit of this like, you know, blurred line between the looter shooter and whatever this is, you know, just kind of a more classic like RPG in a lot of ways where adding that randomization 
element brings it closer to a looter shooter for me and is really enticing in terms of wanting to go back and see everything that's possible. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we said about genre being more of a like attempt to communicate what a game is versus a box. So I think yeah. like, you know, I wonder what genre Remnant 2 will eventually give name to, <laughs> you know, yeah, a remainder. Um, <laughs> sorry. Okay, let's take a break. Let's take a break and atone. Remnant 2, I think it's fucking great. I don't know how it runs on the Steam Deck. I'm curious about that, but I am playing it on PS5 and it looks and plays amazingly. Yeah, it's fun. It feels, it definitely, that's like the biggest thing I would say is it feels much tighter than the first one yeah, did. It's so And the first good. one played well too, but you know, it was a little... A little clunky. It is a little clunky. I actually, um, they, when they ported it to Switch, I picked it up on Switch and started it again. And it is like so tough to play on Switch. I'll, I'll yeah. say that much. I had a really hard time getting back into Remnant 1. And Remnant 2 really just feels like a glove. I do miss the Shakespeare quotes when you die. I also miss that. I forgot about that uh, until I started playing. Nature quotes. That first one, like Churchill quotes and stuff. It's so funny. <laughs> anyway. It's like it's so weird. All right, let's take a break. If this is your uh, off-ramp, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Yes, yes thank you. Uh, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Sorry it's a shorter one, I guess, in this case, uh, if, you, if you don't want to hear about Baldur's Gate 3. Th this is the length of most normal podcasts. That's, true. That's a like great point. 42 minutes. Like This is... This is what usually shows just give out with no weakness and confidence. That's true. That's a good point. And usually yeah. it's, you know, filled with ads for better help or something. <laughs> well, this was an ad for Baldur's Gate 3. And then we're going to get to it. That's in true. The next section. That's a great so, point. Anyway. And Netflix games. And <laughs> All right. See you. See you. Bye. 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 Reed Hastings. You owe money. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And we are back with more Baldur's Gate 3. So just to kind of frame this again. I have reached the third act. That's where I started my break. Um, although I have played a bit of the multiplayer and I've, I've made a couple of new characters just to kind of get a sense of like how the game feels as different classes. So I'll talk about that a bit later, but I really wanted to hear what you have to say, Brendan, because I think you were a little bit earlier on in the game when we talked about it last week. Yeah. And you're significantly farther in than you were. I mean, we both are, but I think <laughs> you're far enough in that. I think your opinion has kind of like changed and, more dramatically crystallized i think it's solidified a bit more yeah yeah i'd love to hear how your experience has been yeah so the, the big the big shift i think between last week and, and this week is after we recorded that episode like immediately afterwards i messaged you i was like i'm gonna start a new character i'm just gonna like based on the the talk that you and i had i was like i i just don't think that the character that i made is right for the play style that i have in particular yeah um, i had made i had made a paladin who immediately broke her oath which i didn't even know was possible um <laughs> Uh, yeah. Which is like a plus for a lot of people. Like if you if you go online and see what people say about this game, like they're stoked. People can... love Oathbreaker Paladins. Yeah. yeah. And I get it. I mean, like having a big, like fiery demon show up in your camp and be like, welcome to the dark side is like fun. Yeah. You know, that's like a cool thing. But I didn't realize, I guess, that I needed to be role playing that heavily, that I needed to like not be, I guess, breaking my oath of which there are yeah. I think, four. You kind of saying like, this is not what I prepared for. I feel like a lot of this game is kind of gauging one's comfort level in rolling with like, yeah, what happens. It's sort of like, are there like, that's why I save compulsively because like sometimes I'm like, OK, like that was totally I got blindsided. I'm not going to like lose a character forever because they got shoved off a ledge. Like that's yeah. not how Gail's story is going to end right but then there are other times where i'm like okay like that i i'm open to like accepting that that's actually even though it was like sort of an accident i think that might have been 
like a very crucial moment for you with this game. Being it like, totally oh, was. Yeah. This is like something I have to think about going into this experience. Yeah. I think the pitch of this game being like the people that made Divinity Original Sin 2 and 1 being, you know, one of the best, highest rated CRPGs of all time in terms of like just the amount of possibility space that's available to the player taking on the Wizards of the Coast D&D license and, and making a game like that set with the fifth edition rule set is exciting and cool. And I think at least for me, and I, I don't want to speak for other people, but at least for me, there was a part of my brain that was like, but there's no way it's really going to be that expansive, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's no way it's going to be like that intense. Like it, uh, there's, they just, they can't account for all possibilities, you know, like I, I just didn't think it was possible. And I think playing through the first couple hours of that first character, I think I played like six or seven hours on that character, which is a lot of time to be clear. Uh, to to throw away and start anew in most games. Yeah. But I I think with that character in particular playing through those six to seven hours, I was like, oh, they re- they did it like they knocked out of the park. They did everything that you expect and everything that you don't expect. Like they they really accounted for all available options. And I think needing to adjust my my headspace to get on the game's level was something I wasn't expecting to do, but needed to do. And I think playing as a paladin for a little bit really helped. Not to say that I wouldn't play as a paladin again down the line, but I think just saying, okay, I know a lot about how this game works and functions. I know a lot more about its mechanics. You know, I had leveled up my characters, so I think level four at that point, like all the characters in the party. And that was really helpful in terms of like understanding the ins and outs of different classes, different you know personality types and things like that. So started a new character, uh, which I ended up streaming a little bit of on Twitch, which you can find on our YouTube. Also, uh, it's backed up there. But I made a character. He's a dwarf. His name is Charlie and he's a fighter who is so persuasive. He is the most like <laughs> sweet talking, but also intimidating dude. I uh, love him. Which I rocks. love your stream. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Because I, I think one of the things I really connected with and something I brought up last week is this idea that the game, I don't know. I'm sure you can make it through the entire game without combat. I'm sure that's possible. I'm sure that somebody at Larian was like, we're going to make sure that that's a possibility. I didn't want to trust Charlie with making that happen for myself, which is why I made him a fighter, but a very persuasive fighter. So I can see how much of the game will allow me to get by without combat, which honestly has been great. So that was kind of my focus in making a new character. And knowing that I think was the night and day difference between making a character from scratch, knowing absolutely nothing and like, having a better understanding of how I want to play Baldur's Gate 3. Um, And that having been said, Charlie, first of all, great character, having a great time playing as him, especially in the area that I'm at now, which I I don't think I want to say too much about, but I'm in an area that is um, filled with people that Charlie does not like (laughs) because... Because he's a dwarf. Oh, I see. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking and about. And there yeah. are a lot of dialogue options about that, which is very interesting, uh, which you can choose to uh, take part in or not, which I'm, I'm generally choosing That's, not to. But sometimes yeah. you get like inspiration points if you play alongside your class or your race or your previous history. It's actually uh, you get inspiration for specifically your background. So like mm-hmm. in addition to your class and race, you choose like, are you a folk hero or are you like a guild artisan? And that's where if you like do something that is in line with that background, you'll get inspiration. Yeah. I'm a folk hero. If you if you're planning on playing heroically, choose folk hero. You will be swimming in inspiration. If you like just wow. do a quest where you've helped anyone, <laughs> you get inspired. Lester is 
is glowing with inspiration. That's awesome. Um, my dragonborn monk. And that's that's a thing. And and I, I know you feel this with Charlie. I love making a character. Like I love making characters in Skyrim. I love like any RPG that lets me make my own character. Yeah. I love all my various Commander Shepherds. Something about this character I'm so endeared to in a way that like yeah. I haven't in the past. And I I think it really is just like that incredible like width of role-playing options like the game really does let you play this character as heroically or evilly as you want my entire youtube is now just like recommended videos of like here are all the worst things that can happen <laughs> in the game and i'm like don't ruin my i just had a beautiful moment with shadowheart and it's like here's her having the worst lunch or you know here's, here's gail's head on a pike it's like ah um <laughs> So I'm like, I just don't show me that. I mean, yeah, I'm going to watch them because I got to know. But yeah, I, I will probably also dip into that stuff. Eventually. It's just like it's really shocking what is possible. And I think what's interesting, too, and I won't say too much about this because I don't want to spoil anything. But I talked a lot last week about how all the companions kind of have like a duality to them. Like they're a pretty snarky group. Like there are very few characters that are just openly like nice and good people yeah. from the beginning. And I have to say, like I'm far enough in the game that it's been really cool to see how they've all changed and how the dynamics at camp have changed. Mm. Starting a new character for the multiplayer session I did and like seeing how the early game feels is really night and day. And I didn't like, it's so gradual that I was like, Oh man, everyone's like really mean when the game opens. <laughs> um, and, uh, I think what's really fascinating is like not only are you allowed to role play, like you can make your character be whoever you want them to be and act however you want them to act and the worlds will recognize them for who they are, for what they do. But kind of like what Mass Effect 1 was trying to do, where in Mass Effect 1, every squad mate was somewhere on the Paragon and Renegade alignment. Mm -hmm. But as you played the game, you could actually sway them to be a little bit you know, in one direction. Yeah. Like Garrus, most visibly, you could really encourage him to be like the renegade Batman he dreams of being, or you can encourage him to to like be more Paragon and like follow the rules. But you could actually do that with everybody. It just It was really not clear to the player that that's what was happening yeah other than with garris and like arguably rex but in this game i think there really is like every character sort of has potential to be a better version of themselves or like you know lean into their inner darkness or the most depraved horrible version of themselves yeah and i i think it really runs parallel to this like framing device of everyone having a mind flayer tadpole in their brain yeah there's this sort of like time bomb to all the characters and having the ability to like really encourage them to like you know, there's this constant theme of, of I mentioned this last week, but there's this constant theme of like finding your identity or like questioning if you can do good if your power comes from a malevolent source mm. or like, can you find your own identity when you owe like your being to some higher power, whether it's like the God you serve or the guy who made you a vampire or, <laughs> you know, like, yeah the goddess of magic like every one of these characters sort of owes some kind of like life debt to someone else and i think like it's not as like i mean i guess in some cases you can really shape them directly i think in the more like evil routes but i think it's been really cool to see how the characters have grown almost indirectly from my actions like i don't want to spoil this but there was a moment in my playthrough where like something came to a head with one of my companions and even the game was like 
hey, this is a big decision. Like, you know it's a big decision when when Baldur's Gate 3 tells you it's one. Usually they don't care. Yeah. But if they're if the narrator is like, this is a huge deal, and I saved, like, frantically right before that <laughs> happened, and I kept trying to persuade the character to not do what they were going to do, and I kept failing. Then at a certain point, I was like, am I screwed? Like, am I just not able to pass this check? Yeah. And then I decided to just trust them to like not interfere at all and just mm. let them do their thing. And they did the right thing. Like they, the, like me not rolling, not trying to persuade them, like just the game recognizing the experiences we have had and the time we've spent together was like enough to pass the check. Wow. Which I think is so cool. That's like, so cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I hope that wasn't too much to share in terms of spoilers, but I, I just you think didn't say like, any character names or any events. I think, <laughs> I think you're good. But I just, I feel like the game, <laughs> I'm sure there's some under the hood dice rolls going on, but I think it's yeah. almost more powerful to let these characters make their own decisions. Mm. You know, it's not like, everyone's fate is tied to my perception dice. It's like there's more to the game than just the dice scores. That moment like really solidified my love for this game wrong. This is such a this is such a beautiful moment that like feels so unique. Like other people will probably see that happen, but it felt so unique to my playthrough and to my character too cuz I think like ultimately the way I've been playing Lester, he's a monk. So I think he's a very, he's a very good hearted character mm. and he like advocates for people, but there's also like a lot of the monk dialogue is sort of like, Hey, everything kind of flows and you know, I'm not here to disrupt the balance. And I think just like actually trusting that character was so powerful. That's amazing. Yeah. So I just, I, you know, I think it's interesting. I, I've been very involved, probably too involved in the Baldur's Gate 3 channel where people are like talking about the game. And a lot of people are like, man, all these characters are like so dislikable. And like they are, like they, especially, you know, you'll see different sides of them depending on how you play. And a lot of them lead with their worst traits. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also like, it's kind of realistic. Like it's, this isn't Mass Effect where everyone is like already in love with Shepard from day one and they like want to take part in this galaxy saving mission everyone here is just a weirdo that has a worm in their brain so of course there would be kind of this like feeling of like why are we all together i don't trust anybody here. i think it's an amazing setup i think like yeah I, the, the yeah. more time I, I spend thinking about this game the more i'm like i honestly just having this group of people be so bizarre but all of them <laughs> sharing the one fact that they have the like mission impossible three philip seymour hoffman time bomb in their brain <laughs> And the idea being that the only reason they're really hanging out at first is because if one of them finds a solution to it, then they all have found a solution to it is such a smart way of getting a party together, I think. And slowly over the course of time, at least already where I'm at in the game, I'm not even done with act one still, um, but already where I'm at in the game, I can feel that that reason for them sticking together has started to dissolve away. You know, it's it's yeah. not like Asterian, the is not just hanging out only because we might be able to solve his, his illithid worm problem, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing too, is like finding a purpose beyond that. It feels really earned. Like, I think I texted you like the way act three begins without saying explicitly what it is feels like where most RPGs would start. Like that's where you are given like, here's what you got to do. Like, mm. here's like, here are the, the villains. Here's the plot. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, here, here's <laughs> the plot. And it's, it's, it kind of reminds me a lot of Final Fantasy 14 where like Realm Reborn is tedious and is, is weaker than the later installments of Final Fantasy 14. You and I loved it because like, 
I think what it does, one, you can kind of see the game getting better and finding its voice over the course of that campaign, which is really fun. But also so much of that campaign is like really getting to know that setting and, and actually proving yourself to be like worthy of the main quest. Like, you know, you're kind of just a new person in town for the first half of that campaign. It's Mm -hmm. only when you're at a certain level when people are like, oh, wait a minute. Like, it makes sense that you would now be like fighting Darth Vader, you know, (laughs) and even like not that you had to follow these rules to the T, but like in the fifth edition handbook, it kind of says like level by level, like what kind of threats the party should be taking on at each level. Oh, interesting. One to five, you're kind of figuring out who you are and you'll probably be like helping out like local towns or villages, which is like one to one with the game. Like the first area is the tiefling village. And the first act of the game is really about just like trying to figure out who you are, who your characters are. What is the dynamic between these people? And people have such a dramatically different response to them. Like Astarian is one of like the fan favorites, but I have, a lot of friends who just like killed him like immediately Mm because you know he he introduces himself by trying to attack you yeah so like there's a lot very easy for that interaction to go wrong yeah yeah exactly another example of like the story kind of being dictated by the dice rolls and that's a very justified response to someone trying to murder you like it only really you would only really forgive them if that's who your character is if they're just like cool with that or if you knew like oh i know he's one of the main characters so i'm gonna let him he's on the box yeah he's on the he's on the box yeah Um, And for me, I mean, the the only I think the only reason that worked out for me was, again, because I'm playing a character who is like so persuasive, you know, so as soon as I got into that engagement, my thought process is always, well, if Charlie's so persuasive that I'm going to see if I can talk my way out of this, which, of course, ends with him joining the party, which was awesome. Lester is not super charismatic. I mean, he's he's extremely charismatic, like in design, but his (laughs) charisma is just 10 but he's extremely wise. So I pass a lot of the insight and perception roles. Yeah. So, and I get a lot of, a lot of the monk dialogue too. Like there was a great moment where there was a monster that kept pressuring me to drink like at a bar. Oh, interesting. And the monk choices allowed me to separate my mind from my body. So I had the advantage <laughs> on the rolls and I just drank him to death. I just like, it's like, Whoa. he just kept knocking him back. But I really, <laughs> One of the reasons I love Lester, uh, other than him being a beautiful lizard man that punches stuff, is that he, I feel like I'm actually role playing a leader. Like these characters are so flawed and want such different things from me that I, I feel like Lester is also kind of being a monk, being into, you know, balance and trying to like honor all life is really trying to meet all these people where they're at to Mm -hmm. a point. You know, so it's it's just really it's really immersive. And I, I, I it's been fun to play as other characters, but I keep missing Lester when I make someone new. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I'm so glad this game is kind of clicky. I know it, you liked it from go, but like I'm glad you're kind of getting a firmer sense of like your own place in the world. And your yeah, character. I was already at the point where I was staying up too late playing it you know, <laughs> with, that, with that first yeah. character. But where I'm at now, I think is like I, I need to specifically set aside time to play Baldur's Gate 3 because I know as soon as I start playing, it's going to be an issue. Like last night, uh, just, I'll give a shout out to uh, Jason in the discord who wrote a, a piece on on what was it called? I, I was wrong about about game streaming and it was specifically about using nvidia geforce now to play this game on a mac which um i you and i have both been playing this game on steam deck and honestly like although i knew that the ps5 version is coming and i will probably pick that up and play that if i'm being honest with myself <laughs> there is a little piece of me that's like i really as much as i love playing this thing on the steam deck i really want to see it in all its glory and knowing that there might be a way to do that 
via the the hardware and the technology I have now before the PS5 version comes out was really compelling to me. So if you don't if you don't know about NVIDIA GeForce now, it's just like this service that they offer. I think it's like there's a free version in which you can play like two hours at a time. But if you pay, I think it's twenty dollars. It might be twenty dollars a month, which is steep, to be clear. You can play, I think, up to 10 hours at a time and it like uses literally the best graphics card and the best hardware money can buy like a like a two to three thousand dollar machine to run whatever game in your steam library you want to run and then just streams it to whatever uh whatever device you have so in this case i'm playing like Baldur's Gate 3 Mac set like everything is set to ultra streaming at 4k to my MacBook and I, I just turned that on last night just to see if it worked and ended up playing until like 1230 in the morning like <laughs> it just just like sitting down at like 8 or 9 p.m. to be like I wonder if this works and then just playing like without even thinking about it for another four hours still like starting and stopping in almost the exact same spot in the game which I think is funny narratively like I didn't really make any progress at all but still just had like the best time running around and exploring that world in I think when this game comes out on PS5 it's gonna like blow you the fuck away I think like seeing this game running at that fidelity and getting to experience it specifically also being able to do the whole thing with just uh, like the the uh, mouse cursor I was really surprised by like you you know there are keyboard commands for this game but you can get by like really just with a mouse which I think is amazing which I didn't know because I've been playing the game with a controller for the most part either on Steam Deck or when docked with a with a controller and I like I like the dial wheels I think it's like a pretty good way of I doing think so it too I think yeah, yeah. I, I think in terms of like figuring out a control scheme that works I think it is probably actually the best way to play the game but you know just launching the game on my MacBook and being like all right let's see if I can play this without any peripherals plugged into this thing and realizing I could do the whole thing with just the trackpad on my Mac was like like the magical experience that you want to have totally and honestly i just i just bought a a month of nvidia geforce now just so i could play this game only because the the thing about nvidia uh that that subscription service is it's just pulling from your steam library also so you have to own the game already it's not like you're you know uh streaming a game via like game pass or something it's like you need to own the game already in your steam library and i did that already obviously i have the game so really it's just this like 20 dollar charge that i paid for one month of so i could play this game at max settings on my macbook <laughs> and uh i think i'm gonna play a lot of this game <laughs> probably over the next couple of weeks i'm also hopeful that the mac version will come out in the near future like not to speak on yes. larian's behalf obviously but like it was originally supposed to come out the same day as the ps5 launch yeah but i think it's taking a little bit longer my the reason i'm optimistic is because the early access was on mac for a while so i feel yeah. like it's it's set up already in yeah some if ways. you want to play the first act of the game and you're comfortable with losing your save when the full game comes out and you have a mac you can play the early access version which is all of act one right now on your mac which is amazing this game is too like huge of a hit for them to like wait on that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i just feel like they will they would prioritize like getting that out this year maybe i'm wrong who knows but i don't know but yeah i i i'll probably get like the the like fancy deluxe edition on ps i feel like i I haven't felt the need to get that for like any game ever but i'm kind (laughs) of like i kind of want like a physical version of this yeah i don't even play magic but they recently released magic cards of all the companions Mm -hmm. and i bought all of them and i want to have wow really display yeah that's awesome if you want to do the same you're in luck it is most of them are less than a dollar but for some reason carlax card is five dollars so it's like i get it mostly <laughs> it's mostly for Carlac. but collectively i mean there's some of them have two cards i just got the one like 
I think Astarian and Lazel have like a spell card too, but I just got all of their like creature cards and there there are six. So I'm excited to display that in some way. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm fully neck deep in this game. I think one of the things about this game that I, I just want to talk about briefly is like it just feels like a kind of once in a lifetime thing in a way. The same way Breath of the Wild felt like that, honestly. Like when Breath of the Wild first came out and it was like, they will probably never make a game as good as this ever again, which of course, haha, like Tears of the Kingdom came out a few <laughs> years later. But I just think like the the circumstances surrounding this game coming out and being as good as it is are kind of hard to match, right? Like the the amount of things, the amount of stars that need to align to make Baldur's Gate 3 as good as it is. Like you have Larian who has wanted to make a game with the D&D license for a long time. They've like built up all this institutional knowledge internally, you know, working on games like Divinity and just like making sure that they are the best developers in the world at making this kind of CRPG specifically, eventually getting this license, being in early access and having the like monetary runway to be in early access for that long, working on the game to make sure that when it comes out, it's like mostly free of bugs and stuff uh, and just being this good. That's like, that's not a thing that can happen very frequently. Like most game developers aren't given that kind of runway financially to like allow a game to be in early access for that long, first of all, or, or be like, are even given the time to build up the amount of internal knowledge you need to just like knock it out of the park like this. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me so much of Hades in a lot of ways mm. where it feels like everything. Yeah. The the commitment to that group of people wanting to make that kind of game for a long time, right. which might sound kind of reductive, but like, yeah, like Hades too, also in early access for a long time, but Hades just felt like this is super giants, like dream come true. Yeah. Not to belittle the previous games, but I just think like Hades has a little bit of all the previous installments in it. Yeah. And I think in, in some ways this feels like that. Like I, I don't have as much history with Larian. Um, like I have played Divinity Original Sin 2, but you know, even just even just having played that, like Baldur's Gate 3 feels like kind of like the CRPG dream in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think it does, I, you know, I, I'm not going to get into the IGN video, which I posted a lot about uh, on the internet, but I will say it does, it does make me wonder like how much Starfield is going to hit, for example, when that comes out next month. Yeah. You know? I keep, I keep worrying about that. And I think ultimately, even though there is a pretty sizable overlap between, I mean, I, I kept thinking about that. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's gone, like I've gone full circle twice with like, my anxiety about how Starfield is going to go. <laughs> and while playing this, I'm like, there is a significant portion of Bethesda fans, myself included. So I'm just speaking for myself, at least. Baldur's Gate 3 is kind of giving me a lot of what I would want out of an Elder Scrolls game. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a notably different experience. Like yes. I do think there is still a huge place for like the Skyrim Oblivion power fantasy. I think in some ways it's almost like a different approach where there's so much not acknowledged in those games that it's kind of on you to like to role play and yeah. to write to be the narrator in your head. And and there's something kind of beautiful about that too. I think I think one of the big things about those games though, you know, and it should be said or it doesn't even need to be said, probably like you and I are huge fans of Oblivion and Skyrim. And oh, stuff, yeah. But like the the ways in which you exert your will over the character you're playing, I think tends to end up leaning into more of like an anonymity angle. Like, I, I don't really think you feel that much acknowledgement over the character you've created in that game because the actual options that are presented to you are a little bit more limited than I think feel 
like something you can totally immerse yourself in. Like it still feels pretty video gamey. I think there are moments like when you made Lester in in Skyrim where it's like, I'm going to fully lean into being this lizard who only punches things and only wears pants. Like in those kinds of moments, you can kind of achieve something. I think that's close to maybe what Bethesda wanted when they made that game. But I think the most common way of playing that game is like, I'm just going to make a character and I'm just going to run out into the world and like just kind of do what I would do normally. That doesn't end up being a very like role play adjacent version of Skyrim or Oblivion in the way that Baldur's Gate, I learned very quickly very much wants you to be thinking about role playing all the time. Yeah, I, I think Morrowind is probably like from what from a little I played of it is like the one that is more rooted in sort of the traditional role playing. Yeah. I think like Oblivion and Skyrim kind of are notably like a step in a different direction. Yeah. And I think now more closely resemble just sort of like what we refer to as open world games mm-hmm. and less RPG. I do think Skyrim is still at that beautiful middle ground though, where like there's still not a lot of games like that. And that's why I'm excited for Starfield. Yeah. Cause we do need that. But I just feel like, Oh man, it's like everything people critique Bethesda for is being like done brilliantly in Baldur's Gate 3, like minutes before Starfield comes out. Yeah. And I just worry, like, I think it's a different enough game in setting and it, like, at least from how they're marketing Starfield. Like, I think there are, are huge numbers of people that'll be getting Starfield that like don't care at all about Baldur's Gate 3. Right. But I I do think they're inevitably going to be compared. Like I can already yeah. see that happening and it makes me worry. Yeah, it's not even a question in my mind, you know, and, and yeah. I'm going to do it. And here's the thing, like I, yeah. I am, I think the person, at least of the two of us, who is the most optimistic and the most excited for Starfield. Um, yeah. But that having been said, obviously there's going to be, I think, a pretty huge disparity in terms of probably where those two will land on like our end of the year list if i was to guess but i am excited specifically about what bethesda is doing and what they're bringing to the table and i think this is this is the biggest thing about the ign video and everything else that's been happening online is like just allowing the room for nuance in the conversation you know yeah like in this case i am loving Baldur's gate 3 i'm excited about it i think it's great i think it's like maybe one of the best games ever made i also am excited for starfield and even if it's quote unquote not as good as Baldur's gate 3 there's still gonna be a lot to love and enjoy about that game probably hopefully uh and 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 it just seems to me like bethesda and microsoft are so confident in that game like the amount of like weird brand deals they're doing for Starfield, the amount of like custom, uh, like like you could get the watch for Starfield, you know, like the custom controller, the custom version of the Xbox Series S, like all of this stuff that they're doing for Starfield says to me that they're very confident about this game being like their big end of the year smash hit. And I still think it will be that. And I still think it will be a game that I will probably stay up very, very, very late playing the day it comes out. But there is something to be said about the fact that like Baldur's Gate 3 is really doing a lot of the things that I frequently wish Bethesda games would. I think the one that sticks out to me the most and the reason that I brought up Skyrim before is like, you know, you become the the headmaster of the Mages College or you become the leader of the Thieves Guild or the leader of the Dark Brotherhood. And like, that's totally unacknowledged. The only thing that people really tend to care about is that you're the Dragonborn. And sometimes that doesn't even come into play at all in a game about that. And Baldur's yeah, Or like guards will be like, hey, quit sneaking around, murderer. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like- yes. <laughs> Just because you're wearing the armor sometimes you know yeah yeah and and i think baldur's gate 3 again this is not a thing that most developers can do but has accounted for every possibility and has written 
voice lines for every character for those possibilities also, which to be clear, I don't think is a thing most developers should even try and do. Like, I think I think, you know, great on Larian for building a game of this scope and managing to pull it off, because I think a lot of other companies that want to do things like this, it's a little bit out of scope. It's a little bit beyond, I think, what most people are capable of pulling off. Yeah, it kind of goes like we talk about this a lot in terms of like the size of open world games where I think there are games that feel bigger than they are. Yeah. And then there are games that are actually the size of like a real country, <laughs> but it, it doesn't matter because it's all sort of copied and pasted. Yes. I think the same with like, you know, role playing options where it's like, like I felt not to continuously dunk on Red Dead 2, but like Red Dead 2 has that kind of like organic dialogue system mm-hmm. where I'm like, howdy, mister, evening. But it doesn't really mean anything. It's sort of like, mm. I'm sure there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of like, impromptu dialogue there that it is cool and it does add to the sense of immersion but you're right i think pitching a game being like this has a million different possibilities but like really it's like three but they're slightly different every time yeah i think with Baldur's gate 3 i have replayed the beginning like couple hours several times in the past two days Mm -hmm. because i had a couple of friends who wanted to play multiplayer, which I'll I'll touch on because I think it's it's a little it's interesting how they handle that. Yeah, I, I wasn't even sure how it was going to work. It's very interesting. But I've now like wandered around the first act area and like played it a few times. And I think it's it's kind of a brilliant magic trick. Like I, I really think that first act is the great plateau of the game mm. because like there is a lot to do. There's a lot to see and there's a lot to interact with. But everything intertwines with like three other things. It reminds me a lot of the Forgotten City where like you can kind of go and talk to anybody, but they're all going to sort of lead you back to like three quests. Yeah. Right. And I think in in Baldur's Gate 3, at least early on, like there actually aren't that many things to do because eventually and this is not like a slight on the game. I think it's actually good because it feels like you can do anything, but you are kind of on the rails. Yeah, right. You know, the first act of the game is weirdly like a tutorial, even though it's the length of most games. Right. <laughs> um, it's really just kind of training like here is like how the world is going to work. That way, when you get to the more intimidating areas in Act 2, you kind of have a sense of like how to navigate, what to expect. Mm-hmm. You're not blindsided by it. So I do think that like, yes, it's it's definitely not something everybody should do. I think Larian was very clever in how they did it to make it feel like it's endless, even though there are limitations. It, but then as soon as I think I know what they are, YouTube shows me another horrifying video that <laughs> makes me realize I was wrong and, and everyone I loved is dead. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell me about multiplayer? I am really curious about how that works. So it was really fun. I I I'll say off the top, I don't think I would like play a whole it would really be like the investment of actually playing D and D with someone to, say, to do the whole to thing. To see yeah. through the whole thing. I would maybe do the first act. I think that could be really fun. Mm. And I, 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 I had a great time with the friends I played with. But basically how it works is one person hosts the campaign. Yeah. So like if I made a game for you and I to play, I would host it. You would join it. And I own that save file. Mm. So like basically we can only play together like if I open that game and then you join in. And if you were like, let's say like we did a multiplayer where like you and I made characters and then I, for whatever reason, wanted to play without you, your character would still be in there, but they would just be like a controllable character mm. um, until you joined in. 
But basically how it works is you start a session, everyone makes a character, you can have up to four people, and then the game starts as it normally would. Nothing's different. It's just that there are two characters on the screen. Yeah. And what's really fascinating is that you can actually just go and do completely different things. Like there's no requirement that you stay together. <laughs> um, so like wow. if we played and we did the whole opening in the Nautilus and then crash landed and you just ran off and recruited Shadowheart and then went to the goblin camp. Yeah. It wouldn't matter to me if I didn't do that. I could I could go and like hang out at camp while that's happening that's very interesting yeah so basically you can each do your own thing you'll probably want to play together though and how it works like if someone is talking to somebody else uh often in like the important scenes it will like you know one person will kind of be the lead character in a scene and you'll see what's happening but if like you're talking to an npc and i didn't trigger that conversation I can walk over and I'll just see you both kind of facing each other. Yeah. And then I can I can choose to listen and then I ah. will see the conversation you're having. And I can even recommend which dialogue choices I think you should say. Oh, I love that. What's interesting, too, is that so like when we were playing, I had talked to Shadowheart and she joined us, but she was actually only with me mm. and like we were all in one party. But the person who I was playing with couldn't talk to her. Like whenever he talked to her, she was like, I'm busy, like not right now, uh, <laughs> That's funny. which is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, and what we learned is that you can actually change like, OK, which party members are are tied to each character. So you can kind of split up who controls who. Yes. So I had Shadowheart and he had Astarian. Cool. But you can talk to everybody at camp when they're out of the party. So it's a little bit like limiting in some ways, but I think where it really shines is in combat. Because not only can you coordinate like with a real person what you're going to do, yeah. but you also will often like in the game, sometimes uh, you'll see that like, oh, like these three characters have their turn at the same time and you'll like do it, you know, individually. Mm -hmm. it, if it's if you each have the same turn and you're both player characters, you can both do your turn simultaneously, Whoa. which is kind of hilarious. So like, yeah, that's very Chrono Trigger. Oh, yes. I was playing a gnome sorcerer. And my friend was a half-orc barbarian. And there was one goblin left. And he was, like, climbing down this steep cliff to go finish him off. And I waited until he was, like, right next to it. And then I just cast a magic missile. And then, like, <laughs> took him out instead. So there are some really fun moments like that. I, I think it's worth trying. And I think it could be, like... I would say it's probably best to do, like a party of four and maybe like ignore the companions yeah or like have one that you like invest in or something that's very interesting but i feel it just feels a little bit like i don't feel like i can fully role play the same way right it, it is it is fun to do but i i would say like i kind of consider the definitive experience to be that single player like fully invested in who my character is and like my relationship with these people. Although I think it, like, to do that with real people and then, you know, have the companions be just like there if you want them to be. Yeah. I think it's, it's an interesting way to experience the game, especially if you already kind of know it, because then you can kind of coordinate. Like, oh, OK, like we can try this first and see what happens. You know, honestly, I, I thought the idea of adding multiplayer to this game felt like a bridge too far. Like it felt like, OK, here's the studio like making the dream game that a lot of people want to make. But also they added multiplayer to it. And maybe that's like where the illusion breaks a little bit. And it, so it sounds like it kind of does in terms of the role playing. But 
I have to imagine a lot of that is made up for in the fact that you just get to like hang out with your friend and play this game. And I really, I think, want to do this when the PS5 version comes out. I think you and I should. Yeah, we, we should, should play it together. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. And you also get two chess at camp, which is helpful. So you don't have to argue over. Like, oh, that's nice. Inventory. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think uh, it's been it's been interesting. And also just like because there are so many subtle differences into how things play out. Like I had never this is immediately in the game like you're escaping the mind flayer ship and shadow heart is stuck like one of the like pods mm-hmm. and you can choose either try to help her or just ignore her or you can actually save, you can save her yeah i had never done that i didn't uh, know like how to save her so when i see her she's like thanks for trying but you know yeah did save me but in this there's a whole unique scene that happens if you saved her yes um and it also really like every character kind of has like you'll see on their character sheet how they feel about the protagonist so they all start off as neutral. But if you save her from the Mind Flayer ship, you get a huge boost right away. Mm. So like you're already yeah. kind of on the path of being high with her, which is cool. But uh, That's where I'm at. So I think, I think but everybody it, loves Charlie, to be clear. OK, actually, this this get, brings me to my next point, which is my major critique with the game. Can I share? Yeah, of course. Uh, this real quick. I think something that everyone knows that like almost every character with a name is romanceable in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's great. And I think. What's really lovely is that it doesn't matter who your character is. Like no one is gated behind, you know, like being a man or a woman, like no matter who your character is, everybody is romanceable. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's also reflected in like the ability to choose genital options and stuff, which I think a lot of people are like pointing at as like, haha, isn't that funny? You could do that. But I think is really important for representation actually. Absolutely. Yeah. You can change like your, your body's form and genitals and your identity on top of that as well. I I think it's like maybe the, at least in a huge triple A game like this, some of the best representation I've ever seen. And so I think that's all wonderful because I think, you know, as much as we love Mass Effect, it's always been a bummer that like, like yeah. only you can only date Tali if you're a guy or you can only, you know, Liara is like one of the few that femme and male ship can. They date. didn't even realize people wanted to date Garrus until the second game. Yeah. Or Tali. Yeah. It was ever they were like, we thought what were they thinking? Everyone's going to love Ashley and Caden, right? It's like <laughs> eh, everyone is maybe not the right word. <laughs> but anyway, my thing with this game and maybe it's just Lester. Maybe it's just because he's like a beautiful, perfect lizard man monk (laughs) but like everyone is in love with him like everyone makes very forward advances most of my game is shooting people down and and it the thing is the scenes themselves are wonderful like i think the the you had a great moment with a starian on stream where you act as his reflection yes and you like tell him how beautiful he is and it's like a really sweet moment with the character that very rarely lets his guard down yeah you know, and I think that that moments like that really endear you to a character that is otherwise fairly divisive. And I think the the romance that I am pursuing, I I think is really like well paced and and really interesting, and I think works for my character. But then there are some characters like that out of nowhere, are just like I love you, and I'm like, why? <laughs> On one hand, it's like I do like that it's a little bit out of my control. Mm, yeah, you know, I like right. that it's like the the way people feel about me. Going back to that moment of trust. I was like, just I about ha- to bring this up. Yes. And, and it was really like the the voice acting in this game. I, everyone in the cast deserves an award of some kind because like the character that I rejected, the tone of their voice afterwards, like completely broke my heart. 
like they had that kind of like quivering tone of their voice of like, I just made a huge ass of myself, mm. which makes those fucking awful YouTube videos even worse when I see that character <laughs> like crucified upside down. Um, yeah. But uh, for me, the thing that kind of puts me out of it is I, I just wish there was a way and the discord has been talking about this a lot and I've been involved in those conversations. I kind of wish there was a way to advance because a lot of the romance is, is inherently tied to like just a journeying with the character and getting to know them better and doing their personal story. And I wish there was a way to see that play out platonically. I do think it's a little Mm. strange to treat romance as like the inevitable end goal of every character. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a good point. That might just be the early game. Cause not, again, not to spoil, but where I'm at in act three, it feels like the game kind of wants you to like lock in who it's going to be before then. Mm. So I wonder if that will be less of an issue in like the latter half of the game. In addition to like figuring out like, what do we do with this tadpole and like, who are we? And this also like, who, who do you have a crush on at camp? You know? Yeah. So it's not like, it doesn't like ruin the game. I just think it's, it has been like a point of tension for some people too, that I've just seen a lot of conversations about like it kind of breaking that role playing where it's like, I haven't expressed an interest in this character at all. Why are they like suddenly in love with me? The big thing for me is like, one of my major motivations to play this game is the cast is to get to know them better and to like help them with their personal stories and see that play out. And I almost feel like I have to like gauge when I have to like either ignore them or like shoot them down to prevent it from going in a different direction, mm. you know? So like, it's a little bit weird because like, ultimately I think it's all like all the scenes are, are good. Um, and I think it's like written well and acted well, but it feels a little weird and also feels like very fast. Um, but I think it's also yes. there's there's nuance there, too, where like there are some characters who their advances on you romantically are are kind of surface level, at least early on. Right. Where they're just sort of like, hey, like we're all partying. Like you want to mess around? Like it's not really anything past that. And then there are the characters that are like, hey, like we got to really take our time with this before we decide if, if it makes sense. Yeah. And that's I love that that's that there's that like realistic variety there, but it is just kind of funny that like, like I, I don't want the vibe to be like Lester and the heartbroken, you know, like I want it to be like, we're all on the same team. Yeah. But, uh, Every, everyone just, except for one character has made some kind of move on me at, at this point. <laughs> there's only yeah. one who has it. And I'm, I'm curious as to why, but I guess I'll find out eventually. Yeah. There's only one who hasn't, but I'm guarantee I guarantee it will happen. Although I wonder now if it won't, because now it's like, there was a moment where it was very clear that I kind of locked in with one character. Yeah. And then, and then another character had like an exclamation point over their head and they were like, oh, so you've moved on. I'm like, I was never on. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Move from where to where? I said hi like five <laughs> times. So it's, it's very nitpicky, um, but that's just like the one. And again, I, I don't know if there's really like if it, if it needs to be solved. Like, I don't think the game needs to be patched for being too horny, <laughs> but like, I just wish there was like, I mean, one thing that I loved about I was a teenage exocolonist, which is like, by all means, like a dating sim and structure is that you didn't have to be with someone by the end of that game. Like right. one of the playthroughs I did. I was just like very close friends with one of the characters and it gave me like a very meaningful ending for that. And I think that's like, it just shows the nuance. And I just think for a game that is accounting for all possibilities, it's weird that that possibility is like notably absent, mm. you know? Yeah, totally. So that that's like my one major gripe with the game. Yeah. I, I echo that a little bit. Although I think where I'm at, everyone's kind of chilled out. It seems like, uh, <laughs> Again, it might just be a Lester problem. I'm like, I get it. Like, I feel the same way about him. Well, again, Char Charlie is very charming. 
<laughs> That's true. I wish there was a way. I mean, we could probably make them again and have them do multiplayer together. Hang out together. Yeah, that's probably true. Monks are really fun, although Monk, and I, I am glad this is the case, Monk really does feel like playing unarmed. Like in, in the first like three or four levels, I'm like, Lester kind of sucks. <laughs> Was this a bad idea? I'm at a point oh, now where... That reminds me. We wanted to talk about what, what class people should pick. Oh, yeah, yeah. I will say... Monk gets really fun later on. It basically becomes like very much crowd control where I have an ability that like stuns an enemy and then all my unarmed strikes, I can toggle off whether they do radiant, necrotic or psionic damage. Oh, wow. And they're considered magic attacks. So Lester's fists are always glowing radiant light. That's from aspect of soul. I can like push and topple enemies with like my various attacks. So like Monks become really fun. And the biggest thing, too, is that they are immune to a lot of terrain. So you can kind of just like zip around the map um, at higher levels pretty mm-hmm. easily. If you listen to this much and you haven't played and you're like, I get it. I'm going to get the game. <laughs> Who should I start with? I think if you're new, uh, if you're new to this, I mean, I'm not like a CRPG expert, but I have played a lot of D&D. I played a bit of Divinity, too, and I played a lot of this game. So I think I, I have three classes that I think are are the best for a new player to start with. And I think you'll feel most equipped to play the game. Mm. I have, I have two in mind and I'm curious to see if there's overlap. So the one that I think is just like the best choice. And I played this in one of my multiplayer sessions and I, I'm like, I feel ill-equipped playing as anyone else is, is playing as a bard. I think bards are incredible. This was one of my two bards and fifth. Yeah. Okay, good. Bards in fifth edition are just generally really powerful. Like in classic D and D, I feel like bards were always sort of a joke class where it was like your little brother wanted to play, and you're like, oh, you can be a bard. Right. You know, like you can be like you can be the character that like can kind of do a little bit of everything, so you can learn the game, but you're never gonna be like the determining factor. Yeah. And then some genius at Wizards of the Coast was like, what if bard was the best class? Like, what if bard <laughs> at everything just yeah. was just David Bowie from Labyrinth and was unstoppable. <laughs> So the thing about bards is that every class that can use magic, they have what's called a spell casting modifier. So every class that can cast, the stat that determines how powerful their spells are is different per class. So like for wizards, your spell casting modifier is intelligence. For bards, it's charisma. So that means that you're you're going to prioritize charisma for your magic. But what that also means is that you get a huge buff to just your dialogue and all your like persuasion and intimidation. So both in magic and in conversation, you're going to be really well equipped. And I think in general, you really don't want negative charisma modifiers in this game. Like even if you're not going for a speech heavy playthrough, you're going to want to have the ability to like persuade or intimidate in some way. Yeah. So I, I think having high charisma just makes that a little bit less stressful. And bards are also just so well-rounded. Like you have, you're a pretty great finesse fighter. So you have high dexterity most likely as well. Mm -hmm. You can adjust all the stats, but you want to prioritize dexterity and charisma as a bard. So you'll be able to like wield a rapier and, you know, do all that. And you get some of the best spells. One of the cantrips you get, which cantrips are basically there are like level one and up spells and you have a specific number of spell slots you can use per day. Cantrips are spells you can just use whenever. 
there's no like limit to them. Yeah. And one of the bard cantrips is, is a spell called Vicious Mockery, where you say a string of insults that actually does psychic damage to the enemy. Oh my god. And that rocks. It seems like there's a lot of unique vicious mockeries to like specific enemies. Oh, really? So like the bard <laughs> will just say it. You can also choose your instrument, and when you do bardic inspiration, you'll like pull out your instrument and play a song. You can also just play like sea shanties at any time. And I just think there's so much flavor in a bard. I feel like you can take that in a number of different directions. The only thing you can't do is like tank, you know, mm. but like whatever. Like I, I just think bards, you're going to feel like totally in control and you're going to have the best time. Yeah. So bards would be, would be number one. If you want to specifically lean into magic and you're like a bard sounds fun, but I want to have more of a definitive role and you want to play a magic character, I would say sorcerer over warlock. Yeah, I mean, warlocks are definitely also, in some ways, they're kind of like bards where they're very well-rounded. They're actually very similar in structure. And I just think warlocks can potentially be a little confusing to a new player. Mm. There are a lot of moving parts. That's true. Sorcerer, you it's like every class gains magic through a different way. So wizards gain it through study. Druids get it from nature. Clerics get it from a divine source or, you know, an evil god. Yeah. Sorcerers just have it. Like, oh, yeah, magic's just like in me for some reason. And you can choose why uh, you can either be like a descendant of dragons or it's just like a rift in time and space gave you like the chaos of the universe and you can use magic. But sorcerers, like you don't really have to worry about like you just have the spells, you know, and what's really cool about sorcerers is that they get these things. You have a specific number of sorcery points and you can use them to create additional spell slots in a day. And you could also get a thing called meta magic where you can cast a spell, but be like, I want this spell to be quiet or I want this spell to go farther than it normally would. That's so interesting. It's kind of like what you are with fighter, with battle master, but like with magic. Yeah. There's also uh, one of the meta magic is twinning. So a a spell that normally would be on one target is now on two Mm. or so there's just a lot of like flexibility with smaller options. I think as much as wizard is like the definitive magic class, you can do whatever it's like you have like a binder of magic cards worth of things. (laughs) And there's a lot of like preparation sorcerer is like, okay, I know like these are the five spells that are in me. And I can do weird stuff with them. Right. So I just think that that's like one of the simpler magic classes that might be a hot take, but I just think sorcerer is like very focused. I think that makes sense. And I I imagine this will be your pick too. my third class. I'd recommend if you want to for new players is fighter, um, which is what Charlie is. That was going to be my my other. This is if you, if you were like bard sounds cool, but I want to be kind of a tank. I want to be more of a physical class. Fighter is just like one of the most kind of bread and butter classes that exist. Yeah. And what's great about them, though, is there's so much customization. So like not only like most classes at level three, you'll choose like what your archetype is. So with fighters, you can either be a champion, which which just makes you like more of a jock. It's like I can just do athletics better. (laughs) And also they get a thing called improved critical, which makes you crit on 19 and 20 on dice rolls. Whoa. Which is really cool. Yeah. Huh. So champion is just like, if you want to like make it as simple as possible, you're just like a really good fighter. Yeah. Champion. Just get up in the shit. Yeah. Battle master is I think what you're playing, which lets you kind of like meta magic. You could be like, okay, this is going to be a disarming attack. Yeah. Or this attack is going to like push this enemy back. It's a lot more about crowd control. And then there's also like a battle mage option where you can learn 
a handful of spells if you want to like multi-class in that way. Yeah. Not to mention you can also multi-class in general and combine all this stuff, but that's not what I'd recommend starting out with. <laughs> but yeah, fighter, I just think so all of that is great, but you can also choose like what your fighting specialty is. So you can like be a fighter, but be like, I want to focus on having like ranged attacks. I'm going to be like an archer mm -hmm. or I'm going to be like a sword and shield tank. Like there's a lot of flexibility within fighter. I just think it's like one of the more adaptable classes. And I think also in general, the companions are fairly squishy, like other than Lazelle and Karlak, who you might not get right away. Karlak especially. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you will probably be in need of a tank if you're not playing as one. So I think like being a tank or a healer is probably like the move. Yeah. If you're if you're not sure what you want to do. I will say playing as a fighter, specifically the the battle master as I am now, is um one of the things about playing that role is it feels a little bit less exciting, I think, than, sure. than some people might want out of their character. So I guess just a heads up there that like you are going to be the person who just hits people with the big sword. Um, <laughs> but until, that, until you get yeah. to that point where you're starting to do like disarming attacks, like I have the ability because uh, Charlie has a sword in one hand, a dagger in the other hand, and then I can also switch to a bow at any moment. Like I can disarm with any of those weapons. And that's wildly helpful like starting off an encounter and being like all right i'm gonna shoot this guy from like way across the way and just make sure he drops his weapon before he even gets over here and can be a problem is an amazing ability to have um, but also <laughs> yeah. at the point that i'm at now where i think they're level five or six i can have two actions per combat or per per turn right so i can like do two kinds of attacks per turn and then you also have the ability to, I forget what it's called. Do you know offhand what it, what it's called that lets you second win second or win. action surge action or action surge, surge yeah. where you get the additional one, yeah. which then adds another attack on top of that. Um, and being able to go three times in one turn is destructive. Yeah, that that's the best thing about monk is monk gets an ability called flurry of blows where they attack twice. Right. And I can do that twice and then do two attacks on top of that. Yeah. Celester is like actually just playing Tekken while everyone else is playing D&D. <laughs> the only thing is my accuracy is like not great. Like usually I have like a 60% chance to hit. Mm -hmm. So Monk is challenging, but there's so much flavor. But yeah, I think overall like fighter and barbarian are really good earlier on. And then as you get into the later levels, like, the magic classes start to take priority. Yeah. But, and I think that's, that's the, you mentioned warlock and I think that's actually maybe another good one to throw in is like warlock has some of the strongest spells and a lot of them are cantrips. Like a lot of the warlock spells are cantrips like Eldritch Blast that get more powerful over time. Yeah. Right. Like Eldritch Blast, you can start to layer on top other effects that it has uh, and you can use it yeah. constantly and you could like use it to push enemies out of the way like the the amount of of uses just for that one attack are pretty wild but those are the classes those are the classes you should maybe it's pick. funny though you said fighter can be kind of boring and like i'm currently a friend of the show adam and pablo we're in a DD &D group together and it's been amazing and my character is a warforged fighter named brig who's this like mercenary pirate guy. Right. And I'm a fighter and then they are a cleric and a wizard. And I think we're all like level six. So like their turn, they're like reading through like a short novella of everything they can do to destroy yes. the enemy. Like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast like bubbles of eternity and then like, you know, <laughs> and then that's going to trap them in this thing. And then my turn's like, okay, I shoot twice. I missed once. Okay, that's all I can do. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of, but I kind of, I, I think what I really like about that in D&D &D is like it really allows you to like 
really focus the role playing. Okay, like these are like the five things I can do. And that actually like puts me more in the character's shoes uh, mm-hmm. than if I had like rift opening portals and stuff. Yeah. I think we should wrap up <laughs> at this point. I just looked at how long we've been talking. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> no, that, that's, I, I, I felt similarly. I didn't have, I mean, I have more to say, but that will have to be saved for like a spoiler conversation yeah. at some point. Yeah, I think I, I want to hold off and play more of the game and then come back. We could talk about it more, I think is the plan. I imagine this will be like a bonus of some kind one day. Yeah. I mean, I know it's like pretty huge, so I don't want to put too much pressure on us because we want to enjoy it, but it will come up again in some capacity. It'll definitely come up again. Uh, that's Baldur's Gate 3. And uh, it's pretty good. Bunch of other video games. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Do you want to do this time? Okay. You can go to into the cast online for all of our links to everything. That includes the discord that includes Patreon, which you can find also at patreon.com slash into the cast. Thank you for everybody who's backing the show. Uh, we have a bunch of tiers on there. We are on a bunch of different social platforms. I think we're still trying to figure out where we're going to net out in terms of that. Right now, I'm posting on all of them simultaneously. So I guess just yeah. follow whatever one you like the most. I think joining the Discord is probably the best place to be for like yeah. being alerted to anything. We were just talking about this before the show started. I, I, I think I think Discord is probably the safest bet of all of them. Yeah, even if you just like lurk, you know, it, it's a good place to engage. But I know it's like could be intimidating um, given the size of it. But yeah, that's where we'll post new episodes. Also, where you'll be alerted if we're going live on twitch yeah which sometimes happens without any fanfare or announcement sometimes <laughs> it just happens. i would say usually like yeah it's usually like hey i'm yeah. already live what's up um, yeah uh, what's up and the discord also just worth noting is for the whole network of shows which is funny to say but it's it's the network of shows uh twg yes um and that includes a bunch of other shows including frog of the week by our friend aj and our producer aj and kim um and also recently video game podtimism which just got added which you should go check out yeah. if you haven't um and soon to be even more shows little tease uh so just a heads up uh other just other podcasts up. you can go listen to but also speaking of aj and kim they just wrapped up their show asynchronous yes uh uh, their finale just came out recently, so definitely give that a listen. It was great. It's bittersweet, but I'm glad they ended triumphantly. Yeah. Uh, with Mass Effect 3. Mass Effect 3. I think that's it. I think that's everything I wanted to shout out. How about you? Yeah, that's basically it. I think I'm going to be streaming Oracle of Ages again. That got interrupted by Hell Baldur's yeah. Gate 3, uh, just sort of consuming everything. Yeah. But I'll be, I'll be back with that. And yeah, just thank you so much for listening. It's good to be back in the rhythm of things. I, uh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh. It's great. Glad to be back. Excited. Honestly, uh, a little peek behind the curtain. We had other games we were going to talk about this week and decided to put on hold for next week. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we, we're kind of having to build like a makeshift like fort to protect against Baldur's Gate 3 just taking over the show. Right. So it's like if we have anything, we can like hide away like a squirrel preparing for winter. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah. So next week, more video games that aren't Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> Anyway, I just think it's really cool. You can cast magic missile and it's guaranteed to hit. I think it's great. I love Eldritch Blast. Uh, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger and Stephen Hilger Art. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye, everybody. Bye bye.